Well, all of you who were here last week, thank you for coming back. <laughs> all of you who were not here last week, we're going to look at uh, Nehemiah, the uh, sections of Nehemiah, and we'll do a little review for you. So even though you weren't here, you're still going to have to sit through this, okay? Um, last week, we really covered Nehemiah 1 through 3, and today we're going to go through chapter 7. Now, a number of you have already come to me and said, I can't wait to see how you're going to deal with some of the things that are in the later chapters. Well, I'm not. You're going to be on your own to do that. But there's enough for us to see. There's enough for us to uh, learn from in these uh, chapters that we're dealing with. If you look at the book of Nehemiah, it is laid out so that the first section, chapters 1 through 7, deal with building the wall. And that's what we're dealing with. Chapters 8 through 13 deal with the renewal of the people and the covenant that God had with them. And there's a lot of uh, genealogy in there. There's a lot of law in there. And you're going to be on your own reading that if you haven't already. Okay. Let's get started uh, today. Hugh is my technical assistant up there. And Hugh, we're ready for the next slide. This is our agenda. We're going to be looking at an overview of Jewish history. I want, want to again help you place this in Jewish history. We'll do a little review of last week's lesson. Then we'll look at some more principles from Nehemiah. And then we'll have a little bit of a challenge to us. Don, I really appreciated your words this morning and the prayer. There's something for every one of us to do. All we have to do is recognize it, be willing to step up and do it. And some of these principles from Nehemiah will help us do that. So here if we go uh, into Jewish history, into the next one, we look at the Babylonian captivity. We know that the Jews were conquered by Babylonia. They were taken into captivity. And then in uh, 539, Persia defeated Babylon. And King Cyrus, the very next year, allowed Jews to go back to Jerusalem. He also allowed them to start building the temple. Now, they built on the temple for five years. Then it was halted because of opposition. King Cyrus died. The, the uh, temple was... The work on it was discontinued for 10 years. Then King Darius had a search made of the records and said, well, King Cyrus said you could rebuild it, so go ahead. And they finally completed the temple in 536, or sorry, 516. Now, we didn't talk about this last week, and we often have trouble uh, chronologically with the Bible because of the way the books are placed in the Bible. But Queen Esther became Queen of Persia in 479. Here, let's go to the next one. 
So, next slide. Esther becomes queen, and then uh, next slide we have Ezra going to Jerusalem. And during the time that Ed, these early years that Ezra was in Jerusalem, there were two prophets that were operating. They were Zechariah and Haggai. So during that time, God had two prophets that he was using to speak to the people. Then, in, no, 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 no. They were in Jerusalem. And they were promoting the building the uh, renewal of the covenant with God, and they were promoting rebuilding the temple, getting it operational, and building the walls. In 445, Nehemiah went to Jerusalem. We had that story last uh, week. He was there. Remember, the king asked him, how long will you be gone? And we don't have a record of Nehemiah answering that, but he was actually there 12 years. So in 433, Nehemiah returned to Susa, the capital of Persia, and was there for a short period of time because in 432, he returned uh, to Jerusalem. Now the final piece that we put on this is the last prophet that operated with the Jews, and that was Malachi. And he, his ministry began in 430, and at the end of his ministry, there were there was a period of 400 years of silence. And then we have the birth of Christ. Okay? Now, let's just review quickly a couple of the points that we made last week about Nehemiah. We know that the temple, the walls around the temple were important because what that did was provide safety for the people and it provided to the people, the peoples around them, a sense that God was with the people and the walls represented protection. So the walls were extremely important. Now let's look at the principles that Nehemiah used. And we'll, we'll go back. He was sensitive to the needs when he heard that the walls needed to be rebuilt, and he went direct, he prayed, then he went to the king and asked for building materials, an escort to get him there, and he, the king granted everything he asked for. So he worked, he operated by acting on the opportunities that were before him. Then once he arrived in Jerusalem, before he said anything to any of the people, he went out to do an assessment to determine what really needed to be done. He went out at night, he assessed the work, then he got the people together to reveal the plan that he had put together. Once he revealed the plan, the people said, let's do it. And that typically is the way things work. Somebody will come up with an idea, frequently, 
people will come up with an idea and say, why don't we do this? And the people will say, okay, are you going to leave this? And the answer is typically no. And I just have the idea. I want somebody else to do the hard work. But Nehemiah had done the assessment. He was willing to lead it. He told them what the plan was. And then he involved others. And he started at the top. The first person that really volunteered and got the people working was the chief priest. <clears throat> so once the people saw Nehemiah was determined and the chief priest was involved, then they began to sign on. Now, if we look in chapter 4, we find that uh, no good project makes it all the way through without opposition. I have dealt with more people who told me it couldn't be done than I like to even think about. And you know there, there are several kinds of people. There are some people who sit and watch things being done. There are others that actually do things. And then there are others that sit around and wonder what is being done. So we need to be in that middle group, the doers. Now, the first opposition that Nehemiah got was from Sanballat and Tobiah. When they heard that he was rebuilding the wall, <clears throat> they were incensed. And Sanballat ridiculed Nehemiah. That is one of the things that we have to deal with. People will often be against something and they start with ridicule. If I can just put this down, if I can get people to think this is not worthwhile, there is no chance that it's ever going to happen, then it'll stop. <clears throat> but Nehemiah prayed but kept working. Okay? So we have that opposition. Now, from ridicule, we move up on the scale to the next level of opposition. And we find this in the uh, fourth chapter, uh, verse 8. They all plotted together to fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So we have gone from ridicule to the threat of physical violence. Now, again, we have Nehemiah's response. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Okay, once he realized they were pretty serious about this threat, he said, we not only prayed, but we took action. We posted guards, <clears throat> and we had a guard day and night to meet the threat. Okay, so you, uh, you respond by meeting the threat with, <coughs> in this case, force. Now, the next thing he had to deal with 
has internal difficulties. Once they got started building the, um, the wall and people were all excited about it, that excitement soon wore off. We've all seen that happen too, right? Somebody comes up with a great idea, they present it in a very wonderful fashion, and everybody agrees to it, and we unanimously vote to do it, and we get into it, and then we begin to realize this is not as easy as we thought it was going to be. I know I've had several conversations with Billy Griffin about some of his projects, and I experienced it in IBM with product management. Somebody would come up with this wonderful idea about this product that we were going to build and sell that would do everything for everybody. Take it with a magnificent presentation with a lot of overheads and all kind of documentation and get approval for it and off we go. It didn't take long for reality to begin to sink in. And people began to say, that'll never work. You didn't think of this or that. We can't afford it, all the other things. So same thing happened with Nehemiah here. Typically, we're talking about product management. We started off with the euphoria. We got down to reality. And then we began to look for the guilty who had forced this upon us. Okay. So the same thing happens with Nehemiah. But we see in verses 6 through 9, uh, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry and I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and the officials. Now the outcry that these men and their wives had brought was that the rich Jews were charging outrageous interest on loans. And they were taking the property of the poor Jews. All of this was against the laws that Moses had passed down to them. So Nehemiah, you see that it doesn't say Nehemiah prayed in this one. It says Nehemiah pondered. Nehemiah thought about these laws that God had given the Jews. Do not charge interest through usury and do not take the property of the poor. So he pondered that in his mind and then he confronted the guilty. That also is a difficult thing to do. We often know <clears throat> that things are not right, but are we willing to stand up and confront those who are guilty. Nehemiah did, and he got them to agree, and they said, we will get it back, and we will not demand anything more from these people, these people meaning the poor. We will do as you say. So we've had the external opposition, we've had the internal opposition for Nehemiah to deal with. Okay, let's look at the next principle. 
We find this in 516. Nehemiah says, I devoted myself to the work on this wall, and all my men were assembled there for the work. So Nehemiah actually participated in placing rocks on the wall. Okay? And everybody could see him doing that. Now food was scarce in Jerusalem. So the other example that he set was he did not demand food or a food allocation that he could have as the governor. As the governor uh, appointed by the king, he could have taxed the people and demanded a food allocation. He did not do that. He provided from the stores that he had his own food, and he even fed a large number of people who were working on the wall. So he set the example by devoting himself and by not placing a burden on the people. I wish we had more leaders like that today. Okay. All right, let's look at the next uh, principle. Now, Sanballat and Tobiah, the, the two troublemakers, are never going to go away. They're going to be with you throughout the whole book of Nehemiah. But after ridicule didn't work, and after the threat didn't work, because uh, the, the uh, people did not respond to that threat, they now say, well, let's, let's reason together. <clears throat> Why don't you come out and talk with us, and let us tell you what our problems are, and let's see if we can't deal with this. So in verse, in chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Come and let us meet together in one of the villages. That sounds like a fairly simple request, right? But to Nehemiah, it's taking him away from the work which he thinks needs to be done. And number two, he doesn't trust them. Now, they didn't come just once with this request. Because in verse 4 it says, four times they sent me this message. And then a couple of verses later it says, and the fifth time they sent me this message. <clears throat> but Nehemiah responded, and I love this response. I am carrying on a great project and I cannot come down. In other words, I don't have time for the frivolity of leaving the work to be done to go down to meet with you for you to discourage me. So, in the event you're in charge of a major project and a lot of people want to keep talking to you about it and giving you their input and discouraging you, the best thing that you can do is say, I am involved in a major project. I don't have time for frivolity, but I would invite you to join me in laying a couple of blocks. Okay? 
Then the final principle that we're going to look at today is finish the job. And if we look in uh, Nehemiah 6.15, it says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Yule in 52 days. So in 52 days, they completely rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. But they did it because it was organized. As we said last week, each family group, each group of artisans, each group of people that could be identified had a section of the wall they were responsible for. Because of the threats, we know that they each carried their weapons with them. They said often they were working with one hand and holding the weapon in the other. Even if they went to get water, they took their weapons with them to, to protect themselves. <clears throat> so the wall was completed on the 25th of Yule. Now, this is significant because the completion of the wall ties into the two holiest days in the Jewish calendar. This Ilu, the, the month, was uh, late August, early September. And the upcoming celebrations were Rosh Hashanah, which was the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, which was the celebration of atonement. So it is interesting that the wall is completed just in time for the Jews to celebrate those major celebrations. <clears throat> and if you read chapters um, 8 through 13, you'll see that that those chapters deal with the renewal of the covenant between the people and God. They could celebrate the wall being completed and they could celebrate their tradition of Rosh Hashanah and atonement. So I don't think it was happenstance when back before Nehemiah left Susa to come here, that he had waited six months from the time he heard about the need until he actually talked to the king. So he had that period. Then you had his travel there. You had him organizing, facing all of the opposition that he had. You had the rebuilding of the wall, encouraging the people, and him working hard. But it was completed in God's time. Very interesting. Okay, then it says, after the wall had been rebuilt, I had set, the, I had the door set in place, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. So step number one was to rebuild the wall. He got the wall done. Let's sit down and celebrate the rebuilding of the wall. But Nehemiah said, no, we have a couple of other things we need to get done. We need to get all the gates set, and then we need to put in place the Levites 
to operate the temple. And we need the singers in place. I haven't found the significance of the singers except to celebrate. Okay? But Nehemiah thought they were important enough that he mentioned them. So after rebuilding the wall, set the gates, then he also gave instruction about when the gates could be opened, when they need to be closed, and how that was to be handled. But the important thing was to get the Levites back in control of the temple and to get worship started again in the temple. And the later chapters of Nehemiah <clears throat> deal with Ezra calling the people to repentance and then establishing all the rules of worship for them. So, our final review. Now, I go back over these because I know whether it is in your personal life, you happen to still be in business, your business life, your church life, or whatever. All of these principles apply. In fact, I think Nehemiah would make a great Harvard Business School review case. I don't think any company <clears throat> would have as many examples of leadership under adverse conditions as Nehemiah. But these, these are the uh, principles that we pulled out of there. And I'm not going to go through e these, each one of these, but just take a look at these and think about how you could apply these in your personal life, your business life, or even in the life of the church. I'll just use one example, and it's one that many of us in this class are familiar with, is job networking. Somebody saw a need for job networking. They were sensitive to the need. They prayed about it. They acted by getting people together. They put together an initial plan, which they are continuing to add to. I mean, we have so many additions to the job networking program now that didn't exist three years ago, that it's unbelievable. We handled some opposition. We had to get special dispensation to, you know, commandeer a number of the rooms in this building, and we're still doing that. But we understand that. But it was it's a matter of what do we really need and how do we go about getting it. <clears throat> then we have two people, Catherine Simons and Jane Litton who are setting examples by their willingness to go way above what an average person would have done. Now, they have not finished the job. There's still people out there looking, and they haven't quit. So they are, they are working diligently to achieve the final objectives. Now, as I said, chapters 8 through 13 deal with the reforming of the people. It is not the most exciting part of Nehemiah by any stretch, 
as I said, there was there's a lot of genealogy. There is a lot of detail in there. And there's even a couple of things that almost nobody can explain from the standpoint of the way some of the people were treated. But it is there for us to read and understand and understand that God has a plan and he uses people to carry out that plan. Okay? So, I have already told you more than you wanted to know about Nehemiah. But if you will just keep in mind these principles, and when they come up in the situations that you're in, first, pray to God, God, what do you want me to do? Give me direction to do it. Then be willing to act, put together a plan, and carry it out. Those are things you'd find in any management development book. But you know where they were written down first? In God's Word. So we don't need to go anywhere else. Okay? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that as we read your word, we are constantly amazed at what we find there. It is so easy sometimes to say, okay, I'm going to do my daily Bible reading now. And we skim through a passage, we close the Bible, and then we proceed to do the other things that are on our agenda for the day. Help us to read with purpose. Help us to read seeking your understanding. But more than that, help us to read for application in our individual lives. Direct us as we leave here now. Help us to, uh, the next time we read a passage, to look for what you're trying to tell us. Bless us as we go to worship. Again, help us to listen and apply there too. For we ask in Christ's name, amen.